We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This is Brandon Kelly, the host of Blue Wire's new podcast, Golden Goal. Messi takes everybody on. Messi has got it! From Lionel Messi to Marta to Pele, our show takes a deep dive into soccer superstars. 2 From Zlatan Ibrahimovic's brash confidence with the play to back it up, to Megan Rapinoe's heroic outspokenness and World Cup flair. Each episode examines a personality of the world's game. We'll dig into Maradona's Hand of God performance and subsequent downfall. The teenage trio at Dortmund that signaled the next generation of superstars. And that infamous headbutt that slung Zinedine Zidane from glory. Golden Goal, soccer stars and the moments that made them. Premiering this summer on Blue Wire. The Uncontested Podcast presents Under the Bubble, a special podcast series previewing all 22 teams returning to play at Disney World. We're talking to podcasters, writers, and bloggers who cover these teams to get you all caught up before the NBA is back in action on July 31st. Tune in every Wednesday, wherever you get your podcasts, for the latest episode in the series. What is up? Welcome to the Uncontested Podcast. We are a part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network and the official podcast of BoomTownHoops.com. Episode 6 of Under the Bubble this week. First off, if you haven't listened to episodes 1 through 5, we highly encourage you to go do so. As you heard in the intro, we have been talking to podcasters, writers, and bloggers of all 22 teams returning to the NBA bubble, which has been incredible so far, both our interviews and the bubble. So make sure you go back and you listen to the previous episodes. This week, though, we dive in to three more teams. Uh, Taylor had the chance to sit down with Preston Ellis of the Bird Rights 
and the host of the Bird Calls podcast to talk about the New Orleans Pelicans. Absolutely fascinating team down in the bubble with Zion. Taylor also spoke with Kirk Henderson, who's the editor-in-chief of Mavs Moneyball and the host of the Mavs Moneyball podcast to talk about, you guessed it, Luka Doncic and the Dallas Mavericks. And then lastly, Nick got on with one of his colleagues from Forbes, Ben Dowsett, who covers the Utah Jazz to break down all things Donovan Mitchell, Rudy Gobert, and what the Jazz are looking to do in the bubble. So without further ado, let's patch you right on over and get started with Taylor's interview with Preston Ellis. And we are now joined by Preston Ellis to talk about one of the most, in my opinion, one of the most interesting, I think many people's opinions, one of the most interesting and fun teams involved in the presumption of the season, the New Orleans Pelicans. Uh, Preston is an NBA writer for Bleacher Report, Sports Nation, specifically the bird, thebirdrights.com, that's W-R-I-T-E-S, and host of the Bird Calls podcast, which is a part of Armchair Media. Uh, Preston, thank you for joining us. We're really excited. Like I said, this is a fun team to talk about. Of course, man. I'm going to have to dust off the cobwebs and try to remember what happened four months ago. <laughs> hey, that's not true. I actually, I listened to a couple of your guys' episodes. You guys are still pretty up to, up to speed. Thanks, man. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so just uh, you mentioned the the recap, um, just a brief recap before we really dive into this and, and have some fun. Um, prior to the season, uh, prior to the pause in the season, the Pelicans were went 28 and 26, which was good for 10th place in the West prior to the season pausing. Um, although they have they currently have the same win percentage percentage as the Blazers um, in ninth place right now, which you know we obviously have heard a lot of talk about these these play in reseeding games, uh, then the play in tournament um, with the the Pelicans, you know, and we'll get into that. But one of the teams that are really expected to make a push for for that play in tournament, um, they had won five and five of their last ten heading into the pause in the season. And then I think a, a really big thing was that both Zion and Derek Favors both have returned um, right before the season pause. And uh, we're kind of getting ready to, get to you know, you guys are going to have a full team for the first time, what seems like all season. Um, so, you know, speaking of health, I think the only uh, things that stuck out to me is you guys recently had three players test positive for COVID. Um, and I was like, like I said, I was listening back to one of your guys' episodes. Um, and it seems like you guys still haven't heard uh, who that is. Is that correct? Uh, we have our suspicions. Okay, fair. Fair. Uh, but yeah, other than that, do you guys have any injuries heading into the uh, the resumption of the season that, that I haven't mentioned or, you know, other than just guys getting healthy? Yeah, guys are getting healthy. Uh, Kenrich Williams and Zion rehab the entire four months uh, because they uh, Kenrich had a, had a faulty back and, of course, uh, Zion's yeah. still rehabbing that knee. In addition to that, Nikhil Alexander-Walker uh, had a wrist uh, sprain or, or a fracture, but it's feeling good. So everybody's just getting healthy. Yep, that's that's perfect, and I think that this definitely could be a, a team that benefits from that that break in play. Um, but also, you know, again, season highlights: um, Zion coming onto the scene like he did, especially coming back uh, from his injury and 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 just coming onto the scene like he did so quickly. Obviously, has to be a big highlight. Um, big steps taken by Lonzo and Brandon Ingram. Both played really well this season. And then, you know, this one's almost a given every year. But Drew Holiday's defense; those are three that came off the top of my head. Um, do you have anything you know you want to touch on in regards to those, or are there even others that stood out to you, you guys who cover the Pelicans? 
Sure, I think it's the the tale of two seasons. Uh, the first 28 games, the Pelicans, of course, started 6-22. and 22. Things looked bleak. Uh, Lonzo Ball was struggling with an ankle injury. He was taken out of the startup starting lineup because he, he just wasn't aggressive enough. Uh, Brandon Ingram has been solid all season long. Uh, Derek Favors missed a, a large allotment of that time, and with Jackson Hayes uh, replacing him, the defense was 29th in the NBA. However, since December 18th, uh, the, the entire face of the Pelicans changed. They were a top 10 defensive team. They they were 11th offensively. Uh, even though they finished 28 and 36, when you take into account uh, that they started 6 and 22, they actually won 22 of their last 36 games. And uh, Lonzo Ball was playing like a fringe All Star player. Of course, Brandon Ingram was an All Star. They got 19 games out of Zion, who looks like a surefire All Star. But arguably the most important player to their turnaround, as you mentioned earlier, was Derek Favors. Derek Favors is one of the, the top 10 real plus minor players and net rating players in the NBA. Any two-man combination with the Pelicans, uh, the, the best net rating is always going to consist of Derek Favors. He completely changed uh, this team when he came back on December 18th, and the Pelicans have been a different team since then. Yeah, no, absolutely. And obviously, you know, Derek has had a, a rough uh, beginning of the season, to say the least, between battling injuries and then obviously the untimely and just heart-wrenching passing of his mother but um, it was great to kind of hear from you guys and also I've seen as well that you know Derek kind of used that time uh, this time off to kind of get his body back in shape uh, kind of deal with things maybe mentally and uh, hopefully he'll be ready to go also I think I said 28 and 26 at the beginning of the podcast that definitely was a typo 28 and 36 <laughs> thank you for correcting me um, so were there any organization changes uh, any big news coming out of the organization in terms of the front office or, or coaching or any of that nature before uh, or I guess during this this pause and play Absolutely. The Pelicans uh, hold one of the most diverse front offices in the NBA. Uh, of course, they've got their, um, I think her title is di- Vice President of Basketball Operations, uh, Swin Cash, Teresa Witherspoon, uh, in addition to Aaron Nelson, Jeff Bazella, Chris Finch, Fred Vinson. The most important two names to highlight are Jeff Bazella, who I think is 67 years old and will not be joining the Pelicans. Uh, he's not there. He's kind of their defensive coordinator. Uh, you guys probably remember him from his time in Houston. Also, yep. Jamel McMillan who's a very important assistant to everything the Pelicans do, specifically uh, backcourt players and on the dis- uh, defensive side of the ball. He's one of those guys who will get into practice, get involved, take these guys in one-on-one, uh, very physical, a players-type coach, but uh, very, very smart. Of course, he's Nate McMillan's son, so he, he's got the <laughs> track helps. record. Yeah, he's, yeah he's, he's been around the game. <laughs> he's got the history. So those are two major losses for the Pelicans. Uh, however, they you know they still got a great team there. They've got a great coaching staff led by Alvin Gentry and Chris Finch, in addition to Fred Vincent. And you've seen the changes that Lonzo Ball and Brandon Ingram have made this year. A lot of that can be attributed to him. So they're still in pretty good hands. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I think you're exactly right. That coaching staff has done a fantastic job. Like we mentioned earlier in the podcast, especially given some of the curveballs um, in terms of players not being available and things of that nature. Um, so we kind of already mentioned this, uh, especially when we're talking about Derek Favors. But how did you personally feel the team was trending before the shutdown? Uh, before the shutdown, it looked like they were a, a bona fide playoff team, a guaranteed one at that. Drew Holiday even said that. He said they, they felt that way. As it's been well chronicled by now, the Pelicans had by far the easiest schedule in the NBA because they had played the hardest schedule in the NBA up until that point. That's part of right. the reason why they were 28-36. and 36. Uh, The Memphis Grizzlies, who they were looking up at, uh, however, had played the easiest schedule to that stretch and were finishing with the hardest by far. And although the Portland Trailblazers were right on their heels, and I think they had around the 20 
20th uh, strength of schedule. So they had a pretty easy schedule, but they weren't physically in the best place. Uh, of course, they lost Rodney Hood. They lost Yusuf Nurkic. They lost Zach Collins. So things were looking really, really good for the Pelicans. Uh, so things are about as even as they can be now. And if the Pelicans are healthy, uh, they've got a pretty soft schedule. They've got the easiest one at the tournament, even though it's harder than the one that they did have in the regular season. They'll have every chance to just stay where they are, three and a half games from the Grizzlies, and hopefully trigger that play-in tournament. But to do that, they're probably going to have to beat the Grizzlies all three times and beat them all five times this season. I don't know if that's ever been done in the history of the NBA, beating a single team five teams uh, five times in one season, not including the playoffs. I wouldn't imagine it's even possible, but they're going to have to do it. Well, that was that's an incredible point. Uh, the fact that they still have the the Memphis Grizzlies three times. I mean, that what are the odds of that? Also, that they would you know the season would end like this, and then they would have to face the Grizzlies three times. But that that really is a perfect transition. Um, you know, I personally like the Pelicans' chances even against the Grizzlies. Like you said, it's going to be tough to do that maybe three times, but uh, they certainly have the team to do it. Like you said, when they're healthy. How do you feel just about the eight regular? seeding games in general the resumption of the season like you said um it's been like well documented that the pelicans probably have one of the easier schedules of the eight game remaining the eight remaining games but like you said again they, they were already expecting that they are already going to have that this season hadn't paused so uh, how are you feeling outside of those memphis games just about the rest of those seeding games but before you guys head into the playoffs I think it's about as easy as it can be. They start off with the Jazz and the Clippers, which is uh, going to be pretty tough, depending on how seriously the Jazz and Clippers take these games. Uh, you know, there's no home court advantage anymore, so it's difficult to say whether or not these teams really need to win these games to position themselves. Of course, the Clippers don't want to fall to four, but if they fall to the third spot, uh, it's not going to be the end of the world for them because, again, there's no home court advantage. Uh, after that, they've got the Kings, which might be a tough matchup. Uh, the Washington Wizards should be a walkover. Uh, they've got the San Antonio Spurs, who are now playing without LaMarcus Aldridge. They play the Kings again, and then they've got the Magic on the last day of the season, which by then you would think the Magic would have wrapped up the seventh seed with all the players that the Nets have lost. (laughs) So they're probably not going to need that game either. So, I mean, there's probably at least four gimmies on this schedule for the Pelicans. So you you have to like uh, the way that the schedule looks as, as far as it can be, and you have to like their chances. Yeah, no, absolutely. You raised another great point in that like, there's a lot of uncertainty with these seeding games. How are the opposing teams going to be treating these games, especially as you get further into those eight games? Um, are some teams going to be trying to sit some out and purposely lose games or when to rest players for the playoffs? It'll be very interesting. Um, so speaking of things to watch just like that, what are some players to watch for New Orleans? You know, obviously there's the Stars and Zion, um, Drew Holiday, but are there any underrated players that maybe the uh, – the common NBA fan may not know about that you guys think will make have a really big impact on the Pelicans when they join the bubble and uh, even maybe some injury concerns you know everybody's hopefully going to be healthy coming into the the resumption of the season but any lagging injury concerns uh, that that you guys particularly are keeping an eye on no everybody's really healthy but like you said uh, there's probably going to be some soft tissue injuries just these guys haven't been playing much five on five they're only going to have about two weeks before they get into full-on scrimmages uh you think there might be some ankle concerns that sort of stuff just these guys just aren't in playing shape right uh, but with that being said uh, everybody pretty much knows the pelicans uh most notable seven players uh i'll go ahead and throw out josh hart because uh not only is That's he one, of the one. Be- yeah not only is he one of the best uh rebounding uh backcourt players in the nba i think he was averaging over eight uh 
uh, from December 18th on, which was number one for his position. But he's also one of the most versatile guys. The Pelicans really rely on him to defend positions one through four. And if you watch the Pelicans, specifically when Zion's on the floor, they love going super small with sometimes as many as four guards on the floor. But in order for them to do that, they need Josh Hart on the floor. He needs to play a bit of four. You've got Etuan Moore at the three. And then you've got some iteration of Lonzo Ball, Drew Holiday, J.J. Redick, uh, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, that sort of stuff. Uh, Frank Jackson's another one. So they love to go super small. But in order for them to be able to do that, they have to have Josh Hart, and he has to be playing well. And thus far this season, he's done exactly what they need him to do. They need him to be a little bit better on the three-point shot. Uh, he was a little below league average. Uh, but if he can just improve that, he's he's a critical uh, player for the Pelicans because even though their starting lineup is number one in the NBA in net rating, which a lot of people don't know, yeah, uh, that's still— incredible. As soon as their starting players uh, go on the bench, they really only have Josh Hart and then J.J. Redick, who, of course, is a wizard offensively, but he's also one of the worst players in the defense. Statistically, I should say. I I don't want to levy a personal attack at J.J. Redick. (laughs) But statistically, he's one of the worst players in the NBA on the defensive side of the ball. And then after that, it's kind of a crapshoot as to whether you're going Nicolo Melli, some of the guys I already mentioned, Jackson Hayes, Jaleel Okafor, who we still haven't seen yet in Orlando, so we have our suspicions about that. But uh, Josh Hart's play off the bench is going to be critical to whatever they're able to accomplish. I think that's that's a great answer, um, especially like you know I mentioned two guys at the top of the podcast, Brandon Ingram and Lonzo Ball. The two seasons that or the season that they have put together for the Pelicans, I think Josh Hart kind of gets maybe a little overshadowed, but he really has had a, a great season for you guys as well. And um, another key piece to that Anthony Davis trade. Um, so I'm glad you brought that up. That's a that's a great great answer. Um, but you know one thing that's going to be unique one of the many things that's going to be unique about this this bubble and campus environment is going to be the lack of fans. Um, obviously, the Pelicans weren't going to be in contention for home court, but do you think the lack of fans in general will affect the Pelicans at all heading into uh, the resumption of the season and the playoffs? I have no idea. The good news yeah, is fair. a lot of these guys are super young, so they're, they're not that far displaced from their AAU days, um, from their days, you know, high school and college when maybe they didn't have, you know, 20,000 fans in the building. So these guys are adaptable. Uh, I, I would think, uh, I guess you could make the argument for a veteran just being a bit more battle-tested, but just in terms of these guys being new, these guys being hungry, these guys being willing to, to, to I guess, roll with the punches, uh, but they do have that veteran leadership in Drew Holiday, J.J. Redick, and Derek Favors. I just think these guys want to ball. I, I, I think it's going to be weird, but I also don't think they care. These are really, really hungry players. They really like each other. They've got great chemistry with one another. I think if anybody's going to like just kind of evolve as this new situation uh, unveils itself, I think the Pelicans should respond well, especially uh, given the circumstance uh, regarding their schedule. Yeah, it's going to be weird, but I think these guys will adapt. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that's a great point. And like you said, there's very few teams maybe that have a great chemistry heading into the season. And I feel like the New Orleans Pelicans are certainly one of them that do have that chemistry. And that'll definitely help um, in terms of the weird changes, such as no fans. Um, but do you think any players really benefited or suffered because of the shutdown and the quarantine? You know, we talked about Derek Favors being able to nurse his body um, and also deal with some things emotionally that could have been really beneficial for him during that time. But are there any other players that you really think either benefited or maybe even suffered? You know, maybe there's some players that were really hot before the season shut down. Yeah, I, I, I hate to say benefit. Uh, yeah, fair, right. <laughs> Nobody yeah. really benefited from this. <laughs> yeah, it, it just like sunk me into a depressive state, just like... Yeah, right. y- 
hearing that word. I, I totally understand what you mean. But yeah, I think for a lot of these guys, they're going from their second to their third season, their third to their fourth season, their first to their second season. This is kind of like an off season. In fact, it was the exact length from whatever it was, March 11th to now, of a typical NBA off season. So a lot of these guys are going to grow both in maturity, their level of game, their level of understanding. These players just got a lot smarter. They got a lot headier. Guys like Jackson Hayes, Brandon Ingram were able to work on their bodies to, to fill out. You mentioned Derek Favors being somebody who got right through Holiday missed a couple of games in January. He's somebody who's in terrific uh, shape right now. But mostly I think you have to you have to take into account guys like Zion and Lonzo Ball, guys who were trending upward as the season ended. Now they've gotten an offseason. The coaches can get in their ears. They can work on their shots. They can improve their games. Uh, these these Pelicans are still very young. They're still improving. An offseason is of great benefit to somebody like that, not just physically, but also mentally. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I love that you brought that up just for development in general, because we actually had this uh, very same conversation regarding Shea Gildas Alexander um, on our, our weekly podcast that drops on this past Monday, a couple of days, or I guess yesterday. And, um, you know, it, I, having that offseason could be really, it's going to be really interesting to see what players kind of emerge as kind of like most improved all over again, right? Um, so like you said, it's like a brand new season. So um, it'll be very interesting to see how guys like that uh, respond to that time off and, and how they developed in the meantime. Also, speaking of Shea, his cousin, Mikkel, for you guys, apparently grew almost an inch. <laughs> that was a pretty wild, wild report. I know. He must really want to play those minutes at the four with Josh Hart. Uh, right now, there's not a lot of minutes for him, and he expressed a little bit of frustration uh, during his interview the other day about that. But the Pelicans are just tremendously deep. Um, they don't really need him to perform right now. They're kind of comfortable just allowing him to develop. But yeah, a little size isn't going to hurt him specifically in an NBA where everybody needs to be super versatile. The Pelicans uh, under Jeff Bezelik are are really adept at at defending positions one through four, and that's something he's going to be asked to do. And that, that height's definitely not going to hurt him. So it's going to be of great benefit. But I wouldn't expect uh, fans to see too much of him unless it's in a blowout-type circumstance. Of course, you'll see some of him in the scrimmage. But if things are going well for the Pelicans, I wouldn't anticipate you'll see him that much this season. Yeah, absolutely. That's another guy who will really benefit from probably just being around this environment in general and then um, just getting to get another, even a shorter offseason upcoming under his belt um, for, for sure. But I thought that was a, a fun little uh, tidbit that was dropped amongst all the crazy news in the NBA. So you already kind of mentioned this a little bit, especially talking about Zion going, uh, playing small with Zion at the five. Are there any other big changes you expect when this team takes the court again, whether that be new lineups, conditioning, style of play, etc.? something that Alvin Gentry may have up his sleeve? No, he's been very clear that he doesn't want this to feel like a new season. He really liked the way that the Pelicans were trending when the season ended. So you can, you can expect them to be fast, uh, very fast. You can expect them to be sloppy because, uh, you know, continuity hasn't been there. It's been four months. You can expect their shot to be a little off. However, you can expect this team, surprisingly, under Alvin Gentry, to be a top 10 defensive team. And that's how they're going to have to win these games. They're going to have to have that effort on the other side of the floor. And Lonzo Ball was very clear about that. Playing defense is really just about effort. All these guys know these concepts. So what you might not expect that you will see from the Pelicans is that they're going to be very, very fast, and they're going to play a great defense. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a great point. Um, it kind of leads me to my, my last two questions. Uh, one of them is going to be a fun one, but kind of the last serious question here about what you guys are predicting when the season resumes. Go ahead and give me how many rounds, how many games, etc. you're thinking that the New Orleans Pelicans will make it um, by the time the season's all finally wrapped up. 
I mean, it's so difficult to say with with the uncertainty surrounding COVID, but provided that they're healthy, uh, I, I really like their schedule. Uh, they've beaten the Memphis Grizzlies twice pretty handily, although the G- Memphis Grizzlies are going to be a completely different team. Of course, they had that big blockbuster trade uh, two weeks before the season ended. Uh, Justice Winslow is going to be starting for them, I would presume, uh, at the small forward spot, and he's going to he's gonna kind of change what they do offensively. So they're going to be a different team. It's not going to be the same team that the Pelicans handled. But with that being said, I really like their odds of getting into the first round. And once they do that, just because of all the continuity or lack thereof, I would think the Pelicans would have a good chance of taking a game or two off the Lakers. Yeah, no, I, absolutely. I, I think you're exactly right. And just, I mean, people are, are already talking about this, but the hype around Zion versus LeBron would just be a, a blast and probably a really good thing for the NBA at this point, considering, like you said, the, the big break in play and the loss of revenue, all the above. Um, I'm definitely rooting for that. I think it'd be a great matchup and just getting to watch Zion and some of these young guys perform in the playoffs would be awesome. So I got one last question for you, Preston. I think it's a pretty fun one. These players are in the bubble at Disney World, so it's only right that since the, the lead's resuming in Disney World, I'm going to name five players, or sorry, five Disney characters. I want you to give me a, a player from your team that resembles each character for whatever reason it may be. And we're leaving this open and ambiguous. You know, you kind of analyze it as, as you seem, uh, seem fit. So I think the, the one you really always have to throw out there is Mickey Mouse. I mean, kind of the icon of Disney. Um, every team has a Mickey Mouse. Uh, Drew Holiday, he's the face of the franchise. He's the leader. He kind of sets the tone uh, both behind the scenes and on the court uh, with his style of play defensively. I'll go with Drew. I like it. That's a good one. I, I think I'm with you there. What about Simba, kind of the, the rising king? I guess you would have to equate that to uh, to Zion. Of course, uh, we think he's going to be the next face of the NBA, and it appears the NBA agrees. They've uh, scheduled six of the Pelicans' eight games on national television, so he's yeah. got next. That's that's pretty awesome. That's especially for you Pelicans fans. Um, what about Hercules? Well, who's a muscle guy of the team? I mean, you Zion know, also could fit there, but it, it, somebody outside of Zion maybe. No, I'm going to go with Brandon Ingram. Of course, okay. he doesn't uh, fit the 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 role of the the muscle guy, the enforcer. That would be Derek Favors. But just in terms of what he brings to the Pelicans, he's capable of filling it up: forty points, fifty points, going for ten assists, uh, getting those rebounds. He can really take over a game. We've seen him destroy the Utah Jazz. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I think he averaged something like thirty-eight and eight uh, in their matchups. Uh, there was, of course, that one overtime game where he scored forty-nine points, and I, I can't remember the next the the rest of the statistics. But he really just took over. If anybody you know, has that like son of Zeus type power that they can break out of. I think it's got to be Ingram. I like that. That's a really good interpretation. And we, we haven't gotten that one yet. So I, I like that. That's a good answer. Let's go with Tigger. Who's the, the bouncy, energetic guy on the team? Uh, I, lighthearted. I would go with Josh Hart. Uh, he's really popular with Pelicans fans. He said from the get-go, do not trade me. He's on Twitch. He's got a podcast. He's just a goofy, fun guy. He loves drinking wine. He brought a wine fridge with him to Orlando. So if anybody's going to have that bubbly personality that kind of keeps things light behind the scenes, I'll go with Josh Hart. I like it. That's a good one. Then let's wrap up with Lightning McQueen, the, the fast cars, uh, kind of the underdog at first, and then is able to uh, come back up on top. I'll go with Lonzo Ball. Uh, After his two seasons in L.A., I think he missed something like a combined 40 or 50 games. Uh, Even his father was hard on him last offseason. We didn't know what to expect from him. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Again, that was Preston Ellis. Preston is an NBA writer for Bleacher Report, Sports Nation, specifically thebirdrights.com. You can find some of his content there, as well as the host of the Bird Calls podcast, a part of Armchair Media. So thank you again, Preston. Go attend to that baby. And I'm looking forward to following along with you guys on Twitter when the season resumes. 
Sports are coming back, and so are your chances to bet on your favorite teams and events. There's no better place to start than our exclusive partner, Bet Online. Get in on the get in on all the action from this week's big UFC fight, or check out odds on NASCAR, Formula One, and the Premier League. Can't wait for your team to come back? Well, Bet Online has future odds, including win totals, division winners, and even league champs. Or check out our daily simulations of Madden and NBA 2K to watch and wager on. View betonline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your welcome bonus. Again, that's promo code BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. Now let's get you over to Taylor's conversation with Kirk Henderson of Mavs Moneyball. And we're now joined by Kirk Henderson to talk about the Dallas Mavericks. Kirk is the editor-in-chief of MavsMoneyball.com. And you can also find him on the Maz Moneyball podcast uh, with SB Nation and find him on Twitter at Kirk Serious Face. Kirk, your enthusiasm. Um, I always love following his stuff. He has some really good tweets and also some really funny stuff. Um, and so we're really thankful to have him on, uh, even though this is the second time now I've done the intro because I didn't hit record the first time. So, Kirk, thanks for hanging with me and uh, welcome to the Uncontested. Yeah, thanks for having me. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We're excited to talk some, some Mavericks. The season's resuming. We're getting closer and closer. Uh, more and more news is coming out. And so let's just give the listeners a quick little recap of the, the Mavericks heading into the pause of play uh, back in March. They were 40-27. and 27. That was good for 7th place in the West prior to the season pausing. And they were only a game and a half behind the 5th and 6th place Rockets and Thunder, which is pretty incredible. They were right there in the mix. Uh, and they also had a 7-game lead over the 8th place, place Grizzlies. They had won 6 of their last 10 prior to the pause in the season. And, um, you know, it, there were some bumps and bruises along the way, but just a really solid team, uh, really fun to watch. There were some injuries that you guys had um, head in, heading into the the pause and play, but also still heading to the resumption. Um, a couple that I've listed is Dwight Powell, obviously out for the season with the torn Achilles, uh, but doing a little more, it seems like, which is good news. Jalen Brunson battling a shoulder injury. Willie Cauley-Stein sitting out due to the expected birth of, of his child, rightfully so. I think uh, that's really cool, but obviously a blow for the Mavericks a little bit. And then Courtney Lee uh, sustained a calf injury while working out. I kind of forgot about this until I was brow- uh, kind of browsing up on this before before we did this podcast. But out uh, during, he, he met, I guess, kind of hurt his calf during the hiatus uh, with some private workouts and had to undergo some surgery. And then there were some smaller injuries prior to the hiatus, such as Seth Curry's ankle and just some small things like that, just some bumps and bruises. But Am I missing anything? Um, do you have any insight into how uh, some of these players may be coming into the season? The resumption of the season, I guess. Well, it's funny. They, they've they signed Trey uh, Burke, who is on the roster now, but nobody's yep. seen him in Orlando. Uh, Michael huh. Kidd-Gilchrist is also on the roster after being picked up at some point in the year. I can't even remember at this point, but he is <laughs> also... forever ago. He's also not in Orlando. That I I know for a fact. So oh, okay. the Mavericks like top eight or nine looks pretty good, and then there's it's like a it, it it's like the Wiley Coyote like running off a cliff. Like there's just nothing <laughs> past like certain people. I wouldn't be surprised if I got a call um, eventually. Yeah, so there you go. Suit up. <laughs> it's a little rough on the back end, but uh, you know their top um, the one that really the two yeah, I guess shoot. You know, uh, Dwight Powell and Brunson were each kind of top nine rotation guys, so they're they're being out sort of sort of hurts. So that's you know that's that's kind of where things are at the moment. 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, good. Uh, good to know I'm at least up to speed there, and uh, not not too off or not too far off. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but there were quite a few season highlights, and a much more optimistic note for the Mavericks this season. Obviously, I think the biggest one probably is Luca having an MVP caliber type season, uh, and then obviously having Porzingis coming in and, and contributing. And you know, he's always going to be a little banged up, I think, off and on. But mm-hmm. overall, you know, it pretty decent. Um, do you want to touch on either of those highlights, or do you have any other highlights that you want to point out that uh, that Mavericks fans and people who have covered the team, like yourself, really noticed well, this season? It's funny. I should know this as the editor in chief of a website, but then <laughs> again, like you know, certain things just like blur past me. So you have on a rundown here that Mavs won six of their last ten, and for some reason that surprised me because here's essentially yep. how the season went: they started the season thirteen and seven, which was good enough to where they were like third or fourth in the West. And then Luka got hurt against Miami in the opening minutes. It was December 15th. I remember the game. And from that game on, they basically played 500-level basketball. Uh, Some things to know about the team is that they don't have a single lineup that's played over 200 minutes out of their available guys. So they're kind of a, you know, you know Luka, you know KP, you know Tim Hardaway Jr. You know these guys kind of individually, but Rick Carlisle, their coach, hasn't really gotten specific lineups really put together. So the fact that they're kind of where they are is is a little bit surprising. The other thing that that really I wanted to point out is, in and this isn't in the notes, is that they have one of the worst net ratings in clutch games in the league. So wow, the, that's surprising the, too. The Golden State Warriors, they have a point differential overall, like every game, like negative point or uh, negative eight point seven points. That's kind of what they lose every game by. In the Mavericks, in clutch times, so games that are decided by or games that are within five points within five minutes uh, of 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 a game, the Mavericks have a net rating. That is something like, I don't have the exact figure in front of me, but it's at least 15. It's like at least negative 15. This season they have been crushed in the clutch. So while they're seventh overall uh, in the West and they're within kind of, uh, you know, the Rockets and the Jazz, kind of this grouping of teams that's like four, five, and six in the West, they could have been even better if they just would have been a little bit better in clutch time right uh, able to the, finish game strong oh yeah and the main reason there's there's one specific reason for this and i've not seen updated numbers but one of our guys josh bow wrote on this in the year last year luca's rookie season he shot 46 percent in clutch time this this season he's shooting 36 percent. so the guy <laughs> a big drop off <laughs> right which like doesn't make a lot of sense when you look at his like overall numbers like his percentages are pretty like his percentages at the rim oh, are yeah. like third or fourth in the league for guards and and he's got a lot going for him he's played he's had a really good year but it's it's just there's something that doesn't make sense about these mavericks and i don't know how to pin it down they could be better or they could be a mirage it's really it's really odd to me that, that's interesting and you know I, I love that you bring up that point because as somebody who covers the thunder um that's one thing you know that's one of our uh, main strengths this season has been that three point guard lineup of shea um 
SG or Shea, CP3 and Schroeder, um, mm-hmm. obviously one of the best clutch team, clutch lineups in the league, and so that's very interesting here, especially like you said after watching Lucas, seeing you know his obviously the, the high level highlights, but then di- diving into the stats a little bit, that it, especially after last season, like you said, that does surprise me a little bit. Um, but something you you touched on is uh, with Willie Colley Stein, you know, opting out to to resume the season. The Mavericks picked up Trey Burke as a free agent for the resumption of the season. Are there any other like organizational news during the hiatus? Like whether that be you know we already talked about injuries, but uh, maybe new hires, staff changes, anything of that nature? No, I mean they're pretty close to the vest and all that stuff, anyways. I mean the closest thing they had was um, assistant general manager Michael Finley was interviewed for the Chicago job, but he didn't end up getting it. Uh, it's been you know they they they're pretty good about staff continuity. Um, and there's really nothing else going on with players either. It's been kind of, it's been really boring uh, yeah. for the last three Fair. months. Fair, And honestly, boring might be a good thing. With everything going on, I, I, I definitely understand that. But So you also mentioned as well that you were a little surprised to see that they won six of their last ten. Um, but how was the team trending before the shutdown? You know, you mentioned they were kind of playing some 500 basketball. How were you feeling uh, before the season, you know, roughly came to a, a, a halt in mid-March? So... Just to give you a little bit of a comparison point, I have been at home now for 125 straight days with a four-year-old, and oh, every boy. day I feel like I'm losing, like a little bit, like he's winning the battle <laughs> of, of, and that's kind of how I felt about the Maverick season. They're really good, but injuries were really, really starting to take a toll. Luka Doncic had two ankle sprains during the season, and anybody that sprained their ankle severely understand exactly what we're talking about because it never really heals right, or if it does, it takes a long time. Right. Then he also had a very, very painful thumb injury um, that also happened playing against Miami Heat. Like, they hurt him both times. The Miami Goodness. Heat, you know... Keep right, Luca away from luck. Miami, <laughs> mm-hmm. and so he was he was not trending well. Porzingis was kind of a different uh, in a different place. He had been he was coming off like uh, like a thirteen game stretch where he was just like an absolute like flamethrower, and then he crashed back down to earth mightily. Then they sat him against the Nuggets, which was the final game of the NBA regular season, like for everybody. And then uh, you know it was. I would just say that, like, you know, we were hopeful just kind of trying to make it to the playoffs alive in that the hiatus in terms of a health for their top of their roster probably was helpful. Um, I still think this catches up with them at the end because their team was very much a uh, uh, kind of a summation of the parts kind of uh, a roster and, and that Luca and KP were very good, but they elevated everybody else around them. And that can really only take you so far in the NBA playoffs. Well, that's a, another perfect transition. You know, you, you kind of talked about how you're feeling um, just in general about your team, you know, coming into the resumption of play. Uh, maybe they really need that time off to, to nurse some injuries and things of that nature. But specifically, you know, we had these eight game with the NBA are calling seeding games. Mm-hmm. How are you feeling about the, the Mavericks eight game seeding games uh, heading into the playoffs? And do you think that they'll like kind of move up or down the rankings? Do you think they'll kind of stay where they're at? Ooh, so Kevin Pelton did some, uh, you know, projections for ESPN when he first kind of got news of all this. And I remember hearing on a podcast with Zach Lowe where he said that in 50% of his uh, uh, simulations, I think he ran 100 of them, the Mavericks moved up, which was very interesting to me. Now, they play a bunch of teams, like they play a pretty good-looking stretch of teams. They play the Rockets, who, you know, 
depending on how things go for them, right. they could either they might be, be a great, very different team. <laughs> right, right. It's really dependent. You know, they're 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 playing the Suns. They play the Suns twice, and the Suns don't have any reason to be there. The Kings are kind of an interesting matchup too, because they're like the COVID West team with how many people <laughs> on their roster have it. They play the the Clippers, who could you know they're on it. Like the Clippers are. I've given this example on another podcast. The Clippers are designed to beat the Lakers. And the Mavericks are like a B version of the Lakers in terms of how they're actually built. That's so the Clippers just like they just destroy the Mavericks. Like Luca, like he had one of his worst professional games against the Clippers the first time they played, and he actually didn't stay behind for media stuff. He was so mad, so frustrated. He just left the yep. arena. Right? They play the Bucks, they play the Jazz, and they play uh, the, the Blazers, which by August 11th, uh, which is the second to last game for them, they have, like the Blazers aren't going to have any reason to play. Like, right. I, so I really think they could move up given the right circumstances. It's just going to take, like if they lose against Houston in the first game because Harden and Westbrook are, are, you know, come out gangbusters, then I bet they retreat and just kind of are accept their seventh game whole. But, you know, they if they come out and they win one, then they win two... You know, Luca's like a, a momentum player. So I think, true. Like, I've noticed the, the, that. Right. The tournament format is what he's grown up with. So this is going to be like I think this plays to this team's strengths because they're 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 a young ish team, and you know these guys are like kind of happy to be together. They have all this weird social media stuff going on <laughs> right now. Like everybody's fishing. That's, yeah. Yeah. All the fishing. Yeah, and they're just hanging out. So, like, I'm, I'm really looking forward to the seeding stuff because I think it could be very well to, like, get them in the right momentum. But, you know, it also takes just, like, one bad step when driving the lane to ruin somebody's season. So right, fair. It really cuts fair. Or even, even a positive COVID test, you know. And <laughs> I, 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 yeah. I, I mean, as sad, right, as sad as that sounds, it just it, it, it's crazy. There's just so much unknown, like you mentioned. But, you know, I found it um, really interesting. You made that comparison about Luca playing overseas and kind of being used to these tournament-type formats. I think that's a great point um, because, like you said, he's a momentum player. One of the very best at, at that, and um, if, if, if he's hot to start, I mean that might be great for the Mavs. So let's hope that's the case. Uh, but we talked about, you know, we talked about Luca, we talked about Porzingis a little bit. What about maybe some underrated players? Um, are there some players that maybe the general NBA fan may not think about, but that the Mavs fans and people who cover the, cover the team like yourself are really kind of looking for to make a, a big impact on this team, or could potentially make a big impact on this team when the season resumes? So they go as Tim Hardaway goes. I really hate to be that that like blunt and specific about it. Luca's good, KP's going to be fine, but they win if Tim Hardaway is scoring the basketball. And he has I, I don't really think he's changed his game. You know, he came to the league, played in New York, played in Atlanta. He's he's has kind of a a, a gunner reputation, but they've managed to weed the bad shots out of his uh you know, kind of his repertoire. Right. And he shoots a lot of threes for Dallas, both off the dribble and off the catch. And then he drives the lane, which is kind of how they want to play. And he's the 19th best free throw shooter in the league by percentage on a really high volume. So when he's knocking down his shots, they look like world beaters. The only other player that kind of comes close is Seth Curry, who is, you know, by percentage, he leads all active players in terms of career three-point shooting percentage, even beating his brother. And yeah. there were games in March and, and February where he, uh, they're playing, in, he the first time he played in his uh, his hometown of Charlotte, he was 
he was quickly approaching like like his own personal three point record. Then he finally like like missed one. I mean, the guy's I, just. I remember that game. Yeah, he's he's a blowtorch essentially when he's on. Yeah, it's, when it's he's incredible. on, and then when he's off, I'm like, who are you? Because You're right. the guy. <laughs> He has the Curry family tendency to just lose the ball in, in like, like <laughs> asinine circumstances. Drives me crazy. But those yeah, two are kind of fair. the ones to look for. I like that. I think that's that's pretty spot on. Um, but, you know, it's something else that's going to kind of be hit or miss um, is there's not going to be any fans. Or something different, I should say. There's not going to be any fans or home court, court advantage, for that matter, um, when it comes to the resumption of play and then obviously the playoffs. So how do you think the lack of fans and the lack of home court advantage Will that affect the Mavericks at all? Or are they pretty much a team that just goes out there and plays and doesn't really matter? I am very interested to see this. I don't okay. think it affects Luka. I'm very interested in everyone else. You know, I think what we're going to see, both lead, just kind of across the league, right. is who really likes to play basketball for the sake of playing basketball. Because when there's a lot of fans, there's energy, there's music, there's not a lot to look at. or It's easy to get distracted. It's easy to miss when guys don't care. And they're not going to have that. Because if, if things go go poorly quickly, like let's say that they're the Mavericks are beating the crap out of the Suns, and you see DeAndre Ayton sag his shoulders because he just, you know, he doesn't care about basketball. Right. That's going to be evident. I'm really, that's, that's probably one of my things I'm most looking forward to. That and figuring out who's actually cursing when they do the, uh, <laughs> exactly. like the 10 second delay. Exactly. That's going to be exciting. Oh, yeah, no, I, I love that. I think that's a... A very great point. You even mentioned guys earlier, Tim Hardaway Jr. and uh, Seth Curry. You know, two guys who, when they get going, they're going. But when they're off, they're off. I mean, guys like that can sometimes rely on that crowd noise. And when they hit a shot, and then they hit another shot. And from there, it's just kind of like a, you know, a, a, a spiral. And so um, it'll, it will definitely be interesting for, like you said, just all teams in the league. So I'm curious to see that as well. So do you think, anyway, we kind of talked about this earlier, but do you think there's any players on the Mavericks that really benefited or maybe even suffered because of the shutdown of quarantine? And, you know, was there maybe, maybe even somebody was really hot before the season paused and now they're going to be cooling off a little bit, you know, after the basically off season now between the, the pause and play and now the resumption. It's got to be both Curry and, and Hardaway again, because yep. they were both shooting so well. And, you know, you look at Hardaway's career averages and it really felt like an outlier year. So if it was in the sense, you know, it's like, uh, Jay Crowder, uh, journeyman Jay Crowder, played for everybody. He had one outlier year in Boston where he shot close to 40% from three, and then every other year he shot 33%. Because volume really does make a difference with these things. And if if the Mavericks come out and in these eight games nobody can hit the broad side of a barn, it's really going to freak them out as they head into the playoffs because they shoot so many of them. So I think that that's probably the one concern. I think that the... The break was good for KP because he, yep. his, his, you know, his game by game, if you look at his game logs, there's some weird stuff happening. At one point in the year, he was shooting like 33% on post-ups. And then during his hot stretch in February, March, he shot 70 plus percent on post-ups. Like that's not normal. Like he, he just needs to figure out like, like where his body is and, and how to, play within the Mavs offense he finally finally committed to playing center after Dwight Powell went down and that was when he really started to look like the basketball player people want him to be so I'm, I'm gonna you know it's, it's kind of rote answers kind of obvious guys but that's the way I feel no no I'm not at all I think you're exactly spot on and um, I mean and, and honestly it's a perfect transition because uh, another question I was going to ask you I have two more questions and we'll get into a fun one to wrap things up but 
Um, one thing you mentioned is KP playing center, and I was going to ask you: Are there any big changes you expect when they take when the Mavs take the court again? I think you know maybe one new lineups are an example, conditioning style play, but. One thing that you've mentioned, I've, I've seen quite a bit of, you know, obviously with the, the big uh, injuries and then Willie Cauley-Stein not being there, there's a gap at the center position. So mm-hmm. do you see, like, the Mavs and, and Carlisle kind of transitioning towards some small ball? Like you said, maybe playing some KP at center, some Maxi, some, maybe even some Boban. Uh, what's kind of your thoughts on that? And any other changes or, or anything different you might, we might see the Mavericks do? Boban is entirely situational. Fans always want more of him because his per 36 yeah. is great. But when he is not working, he is awful. Uh, part of that may be because they also play him with, like, J.J. Barea. But even going back to, like, <laughs> Philadelphia and then the Clippers, it just didn't really work for him. Um, I am concerned about that. They have one, you know, it's really frightening. Uh, they've been a pretty good rebounding team because Luka's really good on the boards. And then Dorian Finney-Smith, who we've not talked about yet, is an outstanding rebounder for his position. But they, they have some potential problems that are just right out there. And so they you know, they're gonna have to commit to small ball in a real way if if they wanna win. I, I'm I'm concerned, but I'm also it's also matchup dependent for me. Uh you know, I, I know we're gonna talk about the playoffs shortly, but that's you know, it really just depends who they play. Like if they play the Rockets somehow in the playoffs or something right. like this, then it you know, it's fine because the Rockets they are match up across the board pretty guys. well, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, you're right though. You play other teams like maybe like the the Lakers, and that could be a little more concerning, um, depending on how KP is and his health is holding up. So I think that's very true. Uh, but you mentioned it, playoff predictions. This is kind of a fun one. I always put our guests on the spots with this one, on the spot with this one. But how many rounds games are you thinking for the Dallas Mavericks? So if they play the Clippers, a gentleman's sweep is on the table. One game, that's it. The Clippers are a a death machine that if they care it's over and Kawhi Leonard you know he finally arrived at the bubble and gave a uh, a pretty lengthy interview um I think these players like the zoom uh, more than having recorders in their faces because all their answers are better that's interesting um but he gave some pretty good answers for Kawhi Leonard and he like he said I'm stronger which horrifies me because he's like the man's like he's the terminator like how does the terminator get stronger so if the Mavs play them i'm just like one game and i'll just i'll be upset because there's nothing that you even take away from that because the clippers are just better if they play any other team any other team in the west i'd be i'd be excited i don't know if i take the i i wouldn't take them against the lakers i'm not crazy but i would love it all the same yeah i'd really like to see I think the the you know the Thunder would be a fun oh, matchup, that'd be a really fun matchup, um, really physical uh, kind of matchup. I you know the 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 Jazz now that now that they've dealt with some of the issues, they're the Jazz are are, are the Emperor have no clothes. Like they sh- yep. we should just excise them exactly from this that yeah process. That, that those injuries uh, really hurt them, and then obviously oh, some yeah. chemistry there as oh, well. Plus, I just don't like them. I would like yeah, them right. to go away. <laughs> um, uh, Houston sucks. They they can go away, uh, but I, I hate them. That's how I feel. Uh, and then I I do think the Mavericks would put the fear of God into Denver, though Denver is. Oh man, that's another fun matchup. Denver's a Denver is a very good team. Uh, Jokic would causes them problems, but I I'm curious to see skinny Jokic against like Maxi Kleba. Right. Uh, it just is interesting to me. I mean, even so, KP. That's and then, I, I mean, Luca probably would have a good matchup there as well. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, so no. if they play any other team, I would 
probably pick them to make the second round, but if yep. Clippers, no go. That, that's fair. I think that's pretty spot on. Well, we'll get to a fun question here. And obviously with the season resuming in Disney World, it's only right that we ask you guys, uh, our, our guests that come on, a Disney-related question. So I'm going to name a, a Disney character, five to be exact, and you tell me who from your team most closely matches these players. And I mean, it, it, it doesn't have to be spot on. You can make any connection you want. This is completely open to interpretation. Got so it. the one I always start with first is the most obvious because you have to go with Mickey Mouse. I feel like each team has a Mickey Mouse. Oh, God, J.J. Barea, because he's old. <laughs> he just, you know, he's been there forever. You know what you're getting out of J.J. Barea and Mickey Mouse. It might not be your favorite thing, but there's there's something about consistency. So it, it, it would be it would be the 14-year man out of Northeastern College, all five foot, six and a half of him, J.J. Barea. <laughs> That's awesome. I love that. That's a really good one. What about the Simba? You know, this is the, the rising king. Um, is this one obvious in Luca, or do you have somebody else in mind? Oh no! It's got to be Tim Hardaway Jr. because the man talks a lot of trash. <laughs> he 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 he's backed it up recently. He's coming in, you know. He's in the he's in the the mist of his prime. I I think Simba's a pretty good matchup there. When he's when he's on, he's great. I like it. I, I that's that's good. That's a really good one. Hercules. Who's the muscle guy? The team. Ooh, Maxi Kleba. Yeah, uh, I like that's a good just one. Just a real you know handsome. Uh, really one of my favorite. He's probably the best dollar for dollar backup big in the league for my for me just you know underrated in a large extent because he plays defense block shots and shoots threes yeah and, you know, I, I, I saw Hercules a stat about him earlier that. in the season <laughs> yeah um yeah no I, I think that's that's a great one and and absolutely I'm with you it still has a lot of potential as well um so that's a fun one let's go with uh let's go with Tigger who's like the explosive um super athletic always bouncing around high energy kind of guy on the team Ooh. Hmm. So my first bet would have been Willie Cauley-Stein, but I really think it has to go to someone main, mainly for personality in Boban Marjanovic. Oh, okay. Because, That's, yep. You know, he, he a lot of my, my fellow writers at MavsMoneyBall.com are really frustrated, have been frustrated all year by the Boban Marjanovic signing. But there's something to be said about a guy who everyone on the team likes. And Tigger is just that sort of character in the sense of, all, all his people in, in you know, you know, it's Pooh, Piglet, uh, Eeyore, they all like Tigger. And and I think all the Mavericks like Boban. I think he's a key part of the locker room, even though he might not be the best on-the-floor player. Hey, that's good. I like that. I, I like that a lot. I think you're, you're spot on there. He kind of lifts up the, his teammates and is a great locker room presence. So last one we're going to do here, let's do Lightning McQueen. You know, obviously it's somebody who's really fast, but maybe it could be um, somebody who kind of was looked down upon at one point and then comes back at on top. Is anybody on the Mavs that reminds you of Lightning McQueen? I mean, it kind of has to be Luca, right? Because he wasn't, he went through the draft process and people thought he was fat, and so yep. he fell to fifth, even though he was clearly the best person to be picked. He also has a lot to learn. I love me some Luca. Love him. He's my favorite player since I've watched basketball, probably behind only Dirk Nowitzki and Kevin Durant. Fair. And, and Luca, Luca's going to have that kind of, for me, I'm, I'm looking forward to like the basketball equivalent of his hero's journey where he figures out like what kind of player he is because he is outstanding, but I'm a little concerned that he's facing, he's getting a lot too soon. I mean, the man is 21 years old and was, is likely a first all NBA team selection. And if not first, that means he's on the second team, which is still like top 10 players in the league. Like, exactly. That's a little bit much for a guy who's that young. Right. 
Right, no, that, that's that's spot on. I, I love that a lot, especially the, the pre-draft process and think back to the Kings and the Suns, and it's, uh, I think that's, that's pretty, shoot, the Hawks, it's pretty spot on. So I think that's all I have for you, Kirk. That was a lot of fun, a lot of good stuff. We're right here about two weeks before the resumption of the season. Um, do you have anything else you want to mention on the Mavs before we get out of here? No, I'm just, you know, I'm hor- I, I've gotten so used to not watching basketball, like, like <laughs> turning it back on has been hard. But, uh, yeah, you know, anytime you want to talk, I'm happy to come talk basketball. I, uh, I, I really like the Thunder team. They, they upset me in very visceral <laughs> fan ways. I think Shay would be, like, the, the perfect backcourt mate with Luca. Oh, and some, man, you know, we already monster. talked about that. Yes, gosh, that'd be, wouldn't that be crazy? Just what like, a, like this, and if I was building a basketball team in a, in, in, in a lab, those two would be a horrifying backcourt. Oh, Luca, I love the guy, but he can't guard a chair. Um, and Shea <laughs> is is just one of the most multi, multi-talented multi guards to come into the league in years. Well, Kirk, we'll give you uh, about six, seven first-round draft picks, and maybe we can make a deal happen. <laughs> <laughs> we got a plethora of them. Uh, well, thank you so much, Kirk. Like I said, that was a lot of fun, and just a, a really fun and interesting team in the Dallas Mavericks. Really kind of a could be a sleeper, like you said, could go either way. So, guys, be sure to go and follow Kirk and check out his stuff. He, he's an editor-in-chief at MazMoneyBall.com. You can find some of his articles there. You can also find him on the Maz Moneyball podcast with part of the SB Nation. And you can find him on at, on Twitter at KirkSeriousFace. So, Kirk, thanks again for joining us, and we'll, uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, man. Have a good night. Before we get you guys over to the last interview, I wanted to take a quick second and tell you guys about BoomtownHoops.com. If you are an NBA fan, a Thunder fan, pop culture fan, whatever, Boomtown Hoops is the place for you. BoomtownHoops.com has articles going up every day covering the Oklahoma City Thunder in the NBA. The social media channels at Boomtown Hoops are just incredible. And the best part is the Discord server where there are literally hundreds of people, including all of us from the Uncontested, in there hanging out talking hoops, video games, other sports, college sports, really all day, every day. So make the right choice. Join BoomtownHoops.com and check out the Discord server while you're there. You can actually access the Discord straight from the website. So come join us. And with that, let's get you over to our last interview of the day. Nick's talk with Utah Jazz Forbes writer Ben Dowsett. All right, guys, for our next guest on Under the Bubble, we've got Ben Dowsett with us. Ben is a contributor for Forbes covering the Utah Jazz. Ben, how are you? Doing good. How about yourself? Doing well, just getting closer and closer to the NBA coming back. When, when did the Jazz head out to Orlando? Uh, they actually got there on Tuesday. Um, they were among the first teams. Okay, uh, they were in that first wave. Yeah, to head out. So they've been in. They spent Tuesday night there. Uh, and we got we got heard a little bit about their whole entry process, very detailed, from the league. They got in. They had a security escort to the from the airport to the hotel, et cetera, et cetera. And now they're quarantining. Uh, they get another test Wednesday evening when we're recording this. And if everything's good with that, then they can start practicing on Thursday. Very nice. So the Jazz, as of right now, are sitting at 41 and 23, which is good for fourth in the Western Conference. They finished out the last 10 games of the season, five and five. And that puts them a game and a half behind the Nuggets for the three seed. And they're also getting trailed up by the Thunder and the Rockets by just one game as they look to take that fourth seed. So I guess my first question for you is, um, what were your general thoughts on on the Jazz this season? 
prior to the season ending was was their record to this point surprising to you did you expect them to be better or worse what were your general thoughts um I had a few honestly this was one of the more confusing jazz seasons in the last several years for those of us who who actually cover the team here for several reasons uh th- there were some weird stretches where they either succeeded in areas that you kind of don't expect them to or were really weirdly bad in areas you expect them to be really good in like just before the the season stopped essentially they were going through a period where they just couldn't stop anyone and as we know anyone who follows a league knows the jazz are generally you know they have the reputation built on defense but as we stopped the season they were ranked higher on defense than they were on offense or on excuse me flip that higher on offense than they were on defense within the league on a per possession basis they obviously there were some adjustment stretches for mike conley his first year in in 13 years in the nba being anywhere but memphis so that took some definite time plus he was injured a couple times in between there with all that said, it you know this was a team that when they hit their highs, I believe they won 18 of 20 or something like that in between a December and January period. The schedule was a bit lighter during that, but they beat the full-strength Clippers during that. They, they whipped the full-strength Clippers in L.A., I should say. Th- their ceiling looks high. We'll have to see, obviously, moving forward, if things are a bit different without Bojan Bogdanovich, who won't be playing in Orlando due to a wrist surgery that he had. But in general, I apologize that it's kind of a roundabout answer to your question, but pretty confusing this is a team that i think has a fairly high ceiling but has struggled with consistency and the ability to hit it and i guess we'll kind of that's sort of a wait and see thing in orlando which i think it is for everybody to some level absolutely and and before we transition into everything going on in orlando do you mind for our listeners that may not you know follow teams outside of the thunders closely um Speak on on any major changes, obviously, the the Bogdanovich injury, but but give us any insight you can to any other uh, noteworthy changes or or things that have occurred over the past three or four months. Um, That's honestly, that's most of it. They've there were a little bit as every team would have some little lingering health stuff, nothing major. They didn't have any guys who were, you know, who are out before and who are now back as a result of the break time. They didn't get any any good breaks like that. Uh, Unfortunately, they actually lost a guy in Bogdanovich. I would say uh, from a chemistry standpoint, we could, you know, part of, so it's, it's all been kind of glommed together. The jazz have been written a lot about recently. There was a fantastic article by Tim McMahon and ESPN on, on Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell. Folks have heard a lot about that whole thing, which a lot of that happened off the court regarding coronavirus. And they were the two, the first two players in the NBA to, to, to confirm test positive. But even before that, as Tim's story kind of delved into, and as others around here have reported, there was some tension there, not just with Gobert and Mitchell, but with, I don't know, several factors with, in the locker room and I'm not going so far as to say guys disliked each other or anything like that but there was some there was some tension there was a stretch there I mentioned where the Jazz were really bad on defense a lot of that was because Rudy Gobert who's their best defender and arguably the best defender in the league eh, just wasn't trying all that hard which he kind of admitted to uh was so again to kind of come back to all that if you assume that maybe they've had a bit of a come to Jesus moment as it were with those types of things. Gobert certainly seems to have some of the things he said in that article to Tim were really honestly pretty enlightening and, and showed some excellent maturity. And if things are good on that end, like I said, they showed the ceiling of a team that can really defend really well and, and has the weapons to score even without Bogdanovich. So frankly, from a changes before the, you know, before the stoppage perspective, those are probably the two biggest areas. So do you expect any sort of, of not necessarily drama, but um, less productivity because of those locker room issues? Or do you think all these guys are 
mature enough to, to leave that off the court and still play at the highest level on the court. Right. No, if, if anything, they're going to be in a better place with those now than they were just before the, the stoppage. Now it's an intro. It's kind of a two pronged thing because there was stuff they were starting to figure out a bit before the stoppage, their bench line rotation in particular, they really landed on something that worked with Mike, Con- with Conley kind of leading the bench unit. Um, and we'll see how that has to get rejiggered with Bogdanovich's injury. He wasn't part of those groups, but obviously a major guy like that, it changes up your rotations. But from a, a chemistry standpoint, I think they're in a better place now than they would have been uh, at, you know, when the season stopped in March. Yeah, it's, that's, that's promising news. So these next eight games before we go into the playoffs, have you done much analysis on, on the schedule game by game? Do you feel it's a weak schedule? Is there any matchups that jump off the page or any, you know, stretches or back-to-backs that, that, you think might give the Jazz trouble or on the flip be a nice easy stretch? I'll be honest. I haven't gone through it on a game-by-game basis. I did look at when the schedule first came out. I did look at Jacob Goldstein's. Uh, he did a, he's a numbers guy for those who don't know him. Great follow on Twitter. Uh, who did a, He just did a basic napkin math uh, strength of schedule based on, on teams' quality so far in the season then compared with where they were going to, you know, with what their schedule was for the, for the, uh, the eight-game restart. I believe the Jazz were somewhere in the middle. Uh, which is uh, the league was trying to, uh, I had heard during the schedule making process, they were trying to make the schedules even in a few ways. And one of those ways was they were trying to make it so that teams who had tough schedules remaining before the stoppage would maybe have the tougher schedules now and vice versa. I think they did a pretty good job with that. The Jazz have like, we're in the middle of the pack before the stoppage on in terms of remaining schedule. It's about the same now. I, I haven't looked in terms of, you know, matchups are a thing, and I, I've certainly talked to people with the Jazz in terms of which teams they'd want to see in a playoff matchup and those types of things. But as for the individual games and the, you know, the rest and the day to day, I think this is going to be such a unique period of basketball that those kinds of analysis. I don't want to say they'd be useless, but they'd be. They feel like we'd we'd just be talking about stuff that in the end might not end up mattering because what what's going to end up mattering is who's in good condition, who gets their feel back the fastest, you know, those types of things. And it's hard for us to sit here and predict those. Do you, do you kind of see what I'm saying? Yeah, there's so many little things like that. And I feel like, you know, part of the reason we do that kind of analysis during this time is because there's quite frankly, not much more to do analysis on. Right. Um, so, so there's so many things that it's hard to give perspective on. And actually this next question I'm going to ask you is one of those things. So it's, it's unprecedented. We've never seen anything like this before. But, but just from from watching the team and, and knowing how they feed off the crowd and how they play at home versus on the road, how how do you think a team like the Jazz fare in a neutral setting in the bubble without that that crowd interaction and and you know teams get on rolls and feed off that crowd noise? How do you see that affecting the Jazz? I actually, you know what? As I'm as I'm answering this, I'm checking the the standings that have the home and away records for each team the standings i had pulled up before this didn't have those for some reason which uh silly basketball reference you guys should have that on your standings pages oh sorry so i hear as i'm looking <laughs> at the jazz they were 21 and 10 at home and 20 and 13 away that's actually less of a of a split than you would usually see you and you and i have seen some other analyses that when you break it down in terms of points per possession etc the jazz are actually one of the teams that tended to thrive a little more on the road than they did at home and i actually think it makes sense for this group i think this group started to see you know i mentioned we were just talking about it little bits of the the drama some of which started before the covid thing some of which maybe had to do with you know gobert wanted some more touches mitchell's becoming a true superstar and wants to brand himself that way etc maybe 
little bits of disease of more, if you know what I'm talking, you know what I mean by disease of more, right? The Pat Riley sure. phrase. Oh, yeah. yeah. Little bits of that creeping in here and there. And I think maybe at times at home, maybe, and this could be me stretching to some degree, but I also do talk to these guys and things like that. It, it felt like maybe guys were a little too comfortable. Sometimes they weren't, you know, they weren't challenged. They weren't, they didn't have anything to worry about as much. And maybe they just didn't go quite as 100% at home, whereas it felt like maybe they were a little more gelled and a little more together in general on the road. Again, this could be me grasping completely at straws, but you look at the record and it does sort of back that up a bit. With that in mind, I would say I think, and with the other stuff we talked about, about them, you know, how they've kind of gelled as a group throughout this break, even though they haven't been together in some ways. I think that this isn't very analytical at all, which is normally my thing, but I, th I think that it could actually result in them being one of the teams that from that perspective doesn't have as many issues without the crowd and without the typical noise and environment. Fascinating. So I, and, and you know, this, a lot of our listeners are, are diehard Thunder fans. They, they do keep up with, with everything going on around the league, but they're definitely not as intimate with the roster and, and with, the, with the teams outside of Oklahoma City. What two players, whether this is, it doesn't have to be a player that, that maybe someone hasn't heard of, but what two players, whether they're an X Factor or someone that no one's talking about or a player that you think might blossom or thrive in this kind of setting throughout the playoffs, on this roster, um, are you looking forward to seeing after this hiatus? Just to be clear, on the Jazz roster? That's correct. Okay, I didn't know if you wanted an outsider's thought on the uh, on the OKC's roster. Um, but I frankly, I think most Jazz fans or or reporters or whoever from a you know if they were talking to someone who doesn't cover the team daily, the two the the two answers would be the same for nearly everyone. The first one's Mike Conley. We've we've already mentioned him a couple times. He like I said, he had kind of an up and down year. Both in he was in and out. He had a couple random little injuries. Struggled to sort of find the right lineups and the right situations for him to be in. Like this is the guy who's used to dominating the ball constantly in Memphis. Think about who they've ever had as other legitimate ball handlers in Memphis. Yeah, they had Mark Gasol who had a fantastic pick and pop game, but now he comes to Utah. There's nobody like Marc Gasol whatsoever. There's Rudy Gobert who likes to pick and roll. That's completely different. And there's three other guys who like to handle the ball significantly and do it well. It's a very different thing for him to adjust to. That said, and as I mentioned, he was really starting to find it during that last stretch. I believe during the final month or so, and this is, I'm, this is off the top of my head, but I believe he was around uh, 20 points a game, six assists, and I think it was like 45% from the field, 43% from three, something like that, all on good volume. And this is over a month or so to close out just before the break happened, or the, the shutdown, I should say. If he can maintain that, and we also heard from him, Dennis Lindsay actually did a, the Jazz's GM uh, and executive vice president of basketball operations actually did a, a media availability today where he said Mike Conley is, has told people in the Jazz organization this is the freshest he's felt in his whole career. He may be one of those guys who this layoff has sort of helped in, in a relative sense. He's got a home gym in his house. Uh, that he's able to just he can he can work out whenever he wants. He dominated that ESPN horse tournament they had early on. Uh, I think he's a massive X factor. That's right. Yeah, you remember that? It was. It feels like it was like a year ago at this point. Um, but yeah, he uh, that was from his home gym. So the Jazz are going to need him, uh, especially with Bogdanovich out. Bogdanovich was one of their guys who could get a bucket in ISO sometimes when they needed it. Up until this year, uh, Donovan Mitchell's kind of been the only guy that can do that. Teams are going to put the pressure on Mitchell. They're going to put their best defenders on Mitchell. The ability for Conley to break down teams in, in ISO, especially, God forbid, if they end up in another matchup with Houston in the playoffs, which they really don't want. But if that happens, Conley's going to be huge. And then the other guy uh, to mention as well is Joe Ingles. 
First of all, they are going to need his ball handling more often for the same reasons. They don't have Bogdanovich as much. Secondly, they're going to need him for possibly some potentially tough defensive matchups. OKC is actually a pretty good example. If they end up playing the Thunder, whether it just in the regular, the, the, the restart matchup that they have, I think it's the second game for both teams, or whether they end up in a series against each other in the playoffs, they might need Joe to guard Danilo Gallinari for long stretches. That's a that's a totally realistic thing because they might need they might think Royce O'Neal is the guy when uh, when OKC runs those three guard lineups that you guys like to run. Right. They they might think Ingles doesn't have the foot speed to guard or that O'Neal is the better guy to guard one uh, guard the third guard there and then that leaves when when Gallo's on the floor that leaves Ingles to guard him. So he's going to have a he potentially a big responsibility and a big load to carry there with Bogdanovich out. And then finally, this has been a thing with Joe for years in Utah. Jazz fans know it well. He's got to shoot the ball. He's one of the better shooters in the NBA. He's had some issues with hesitancy and things like that. And now with Bogdanovich out, who's their best and most frequent three-point shooter, they need guys to fire away whenever they're open. When Ingles has any daylight whatsoever, they need the shots to be going up, and they need them to be going in. Absolutely. He's a guy that, that Thunder fans definitely don't like with all of his uh, – <laughs> he, he, not only is he a great shooter, he's a great smack talker. I can, I can say that much. So kind of staying on the same path of, of matchups, you know, you mentioned Houston, you mentioned Oklahoma City. Who is the, you know, sp- speaking w- about realistic matchups, you know, with, with how much these, these standings could change, who, in your opinion, is Utah's best matchup and who would be their worst matchup? I'll answer in reverse order if that's okay. The worst matchup is Houston. It's that's just that's how it is. There there are folks that wanted to think contrarian and that you know it could be the Clippers. The Clippers probably have more overall talent on their roster than Houston, etc. No, the Jazz match up way better with the Clippers. There, I know there are several within the, this organization in particular that just they just have no interest in playing Houston again. The matchup is terrible, and it's even worse now than it has been in the past two postseasons with no Clint Capella there. They don't play a center. Like it's just it just doesn't work for the kind of stuff the Jazz generally like to do. They I. Mm, I don't want to necessarily say for sure that they would do this in the past. The Jazz have, particularly under Dennis Lindsay's uh, leadership, they've been a, 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 a sorry, how do I, a straight shooting team where they don't like to tank matchups at the end of the year. Like for instance, last year they could have gotten themselves a way better playoff alignment where they didn't have to play Houston in the first round and then Golden State in the second round if they had won. What if they had just lost their second last game of the season? They all they would have needed to do was throw that game, but they they wouldn't do it. It's not, it's not really in their DNA. I'll go to the point of saying that I think there's a chance they would do that this year if they could throw their their eighth game, lose, and not play Houston in the first round. Wow. Uh, okay. uh, they, like, that's, I don't know that for sure. No one in the organization has told me that, to be clear. I just think it's like that's how much I think they hate the Houston matchup. Um, as far as best matchups, it kind of depends on – who you consider realistic because I've actually talked to a couple folks in the analytics community, including a couple with teams who forecast that Dallas based on their schedule and their team quality might have a little better chance of moving up into a higher seed than we had thought, uh, or that the jazz yep, may have a chance I've said to the same thing. Yeah. So you, you, you have some smart analytics people in the league who agree with you. I'll tell you that, um, who think that Dallas could be a real threat to move up to six or even higher. Uh, and when you combine that with what I was mentioning before about there could be a lot of craziness during these eight games, like some team that we think of as good might just like a couple of their best guys might just forget how to play basketball for a while. And then, and they might just not be great. You know, that's the, that, oh, some weird stuff could happen here. So with that in mind, I'm not no insult to, to the folks in OKC, but I, w- I would say Dallas and OKC are close. 
as far as realistic matchups for the Jazz. I mean, there are definitely your analytics people who would look at it and, you know, the two in terms of net ratings for the two teams. So, so per possession ratings, Dallas rates out as a much better team than Oklahoma City, even though OKC has a, had a better record at the time of the stoppage. There are those who would doubt that and say, you know, Dallas got that by blowing out a bunch of crappy teams earlier in the year. Mm, folks coming on different sides of that argument. I don't know. I think it kind of comes down to matchups in the end. Jazz fans are always scared of Chris Paul, and rightfully so. I think to some degree he definitely gives Rudy Gobert problems. But at the same time, the Jazz are 2-1 and one in the first round against Chris Paul in the last three years. They played him each of the last three years, and they, they're 2-1 and one against him. So like, it seems like they're doing okay against him. I don't know. It's it's pretty close. Sorry, to, it's kind of hem and haw on the answer here. But between those two teams, obviously, if they could get anyone else, like if they could somehow get Memphis or or some team like that, that'd be fantastic. But And I think Denver is kind of in the middle. Uh, but then I think the two one the two that they prefer if they could would be OKC or, or Dallas. Fair enough. I, I think I would tend to agree with you on on both sides of that there. So last question for you, and this is extremely hard to answer without knowing what the matchups are. But, you know, keeping everything on an even playing field, if, if you had to put money down or, or give your prediction on what the playoffs look like for this team, how far they go, what round they lose in, et cetera. What's your prediction for this team in the playoffs? Oh man, that's so difficult. Um, I would say if you average out every, because like, as you, and you kind of alluded to it and we have during this entire thing, like the, the, the variability of this situation is huge. I, I think we already were in a season where parity was maybe a little higher than normal. There was no one team that everybody was like, this team need is going to win the title. I think it's even more than that now, now that we're in a situation that's way more volatile. You know, you never know if a guy uh, pulls a hamstring or, or, or gets COVID, but God forbid, we really hope that doesn't happen, uh, et cetera. I guess if you average all the scenarios, I would say the most likely thing is probably that the Jazz are slight underdogs in the first round. Because even those better series, Dallas or OKC, I think they'd be they'd be maybe small favorites depending on what the you know I guess there's no home advantage so that's not really a factor but um, and but I think they'd be small underdogs against Denver or the Clippers and big underdog excuse me uh, big underdogs against Houston. That said, I, I really think there's enough variability here, and I think there are enough good signs with the Jazz as they're getting restarted here to think that they could easily beat any of those teams, even Houston. Uh, even the Lakers, maybe you never know, but I think that the most likely outcome is they get to either the first or second round, I suppose, with again, the caveat that there, there's just so much variability. They, they like, I would not be shocked if the jazz won the championship. They're not one of the five teams I think is most likely to win the championship, but it wouldn't shock me like it would have last year, for instance, or, or something like that. So to kind of tweak that question, what, what would be in your mind, you know, you you've spoken to, to quite a few people in the organization, and I'm sure you you hear plenty from fans on Twitter. What do you think in in Utah's mind a successful season would be? That's a good question. You know, I think it matters less about you know how far they they get to specifically. I think they care more about being able to see in this period of time that it works, that it that whatever issues they've had in the locker room on court, off court, whatever they are, that they can put it aside and that it can work in a, in a competitive playoff type environment. And whether that means, you know, if it ends up that they miss a bunch of open threes, like they did last year against Houston and, and lose, but they still did all the right things and had the right chances. I think they're going to be okay with that. Whereas 
if they're having, if they still have major connectivity problems and if there are still personal issues going on or anything like that, which I think is unlikely, but don't want to rule out, then I think they would view that as a, that would be a big problem for the organization because they're looking at the future here as well. They have Donovan Mitchell up for a, a max extension that he'll probably get whenever this season is over. And they want him, they want him to stay for, they want him to sign for the max, the max years there as well. Not just the max number. They want to get him for five years on that. They want to lock him up, not have him take the Gordon Hayward three plus one that they ended up with Gordon leaving a few years ago. Uh, and then with Rudy, Rudy has one more year left after this and then is an unrestricted free agent afterwards. If things can't work between those two stars or if things aren't working on the court due to whatever the issue is, that's a big problem that they're going to have to address like right away. And it's kind of a looming franchise thing. So I think that's sorry to kind of, again, to kind of not give a concrete answer, but I think that's more important to them necessarily. Like, sure. They'd love to win the championship, but I think the most important thing to them is seeing that this works and that this gels and that they can move forward with this core. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, you would, you would much rather know that, that what you're building is going to work long-term than, you know, win an extra couple games or, or advance another round in the playoffs. That, Totally makes sense. And, and and plus, sorry to cut you off, but plus, if things gel and it works, that gives you a better chance of winning during this tournament anyway. So you kill two birds. So there you go. Very, yeah, very true. If things are working and they look like they're going to work in the future, they're probably working right now. So that makes a lot of sense. Well, cool. Thank you, Ben, for, for jumping on. For those of you listening to this podcast, feel free to give Ben a follow on Twitter. He is at underscore Ben Dowsett. D-O-W-S-E-T-T. The underscore is in between the Ben and the Dowsett, actually. Just FYI. Ben underscore Dowsett. Yes. Did I not say that? You said the underscore first, which is close. Close Uh, enough. My my mistake. My mistake. (laughs) So, again, he he covers the jazz for Forbes. Give him a follow. Thank you so much for jumping on, Ben, and we'll talk soon. Yeah, thanks for having me. Just want to say one more time, thank you to our three guests who joined us this week. We've been having an awesome time recording these under-the-bubble interviews for you guys. So we hope you've enjoyed them. If you haven't listened to the previous episodes, I would highly encourage you to go do so as we only have two left, guys. Next week, we will cover the two LA teams and the Denver Nuggets. And then the week after that, it is a full dive with the whole uncontested team with the Thunder under the bubble. It's just going to be one episode just devoted to the Oklahoma City Thunder. So we're really excited about that one as well. Make sure to check out betonline.ag and use that promo code BLUEWIRE to get your sign-up bonus. Also, visit boomtownhoops.com and the Discord channel while you're at it. And go find yourself uh, your new homepage for all Thunder news and entertainment. We'll be back with you with our normally scheduled Friday podcast. You guys, until then, stay safe. Please wear your masks. Wash your hands. Let's get COVID under control. And let's get ready for some basketball in the Orlando bubble. We'll talk to you soon. Bye. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in a new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series now streaming on Showtime.